Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Indie Football Podcast. Today I'm delighted to be joined by the sports editor of The Independent, Ben Burrows, chief football writer Miguel Delaney and star columnist Tony Evans. And we're going to be talking about super clubs, super leagues and FIFA's controversial plans to revamp the much maligned Club World Cup. Uh, We've really wanted to do this podcast ever since Miguel wrote a piece in the wake of Liverpool's victory over Sheffield United, which questioned whether their level of dominance is good for football. But we held off and we're glad that we did because last week La Liga president Javier Tebas went public with his criticisms of FIFA and the changing landscape of club football. And it really ties in well with some of the themes that Miguel was getting at and also a lot of the stuff that Tony has been writing on about a proposed European Super League too. We're going to get on to Liverpool and those fiendish Super League plans in the second half of the show. But let's start with Tebas. Uh, Miguel, you were at the launch of La Liga's new TV channel in London last week, which is where Tebas spoke. What did you make of him and his criticisms and what was his complaint with FIFA over the plans to expand the Club World Cup? Well, for, first of all, I was actually slightly struck by him um, because this is a man with a very, uh, I think, po- politically or in terms of nationalism, quite right-wing views. And yet his instincts for football were all very left-wing. And I, I don't think that was born out of self-interest. I do that, I did genuinely think that was born out of a collective interest, especially given that he was actually criticising the Spanish Federation for going to uh, Saudi Arabia. And it's, I, even actually, just interesting, even beyond the um, that press conference with Tebas, in relation to this whole wider team, it's even since that Sheffield United match, we've had two massive developments where the Deloitte money list and the UEFA benchmarking report, which kind of put all these problems in black and white, which is that the game is massively split, and that split comes just under 11 massively wealthy clubs. And that was one of Tebas's arguments, that there is this huge financial stretch in the game where a lot of main parties are getting worried about their piece with FIFA, who, as he puts it, should merely be regulators and safeguards of the game. I totally agree with that. And yet, instead of that, they see what UEFA make from the Champions League, want a piece of it, and are now creating this tournament that actually threatens to bring a load of football's major problems to a head. I mean, that that genuinely isn't overstating it. This could be the issue that finally starts to... I mean, there's been so much... For so many years, there's been worries about Super League, all the rest of it. But I do think this competition has the potential to finally cause a split in the game. I mean, first of all, there's this ongoing tension with the calendar. Uh, There's there's no real place. It's already caused the African nation to be put back. Uh, but then it won't just disrupt the calendar, it'll totally disrupt the financial balance of the game because to even entice the European clubs who are against it at the moment, they're going to have to offer 50 million. And 50 million for a month's work in a summer, that suddenly changes positions. And it's also what some of them will get in an entire Champions League season in the, sta- in the space of a month. So they're not going to say no to that. If that happens, anyone that gets that money, especially if they're not from a major league, it completely disrupts that league. And beyond anything, then suddenly that that'll already change FIFA's power over the clubs it'll potentially cause a backlash from UEFA 
and even where this is where this has taken place, it's in China with every, everyone thinks Saudi backing. Basically, so rather than FIFA scrutinising sports washing links, it's actually facilitating them, mm. uh, and it's just a mental situation. I uh, suppose one of the most interesting things does rant. What he was talking about is that obviously he's criticised FIFA, we'll come on to that, but he's also taken a shot at the Spanish Football Federation because they, of course, took the Super Cup to Saudi Arabia, which he has said uh, was a bad move and obviously leads to these kind of allegations of sports washing. So I suppose those criticisms are just as influential and impactful as, as the FIFA criticism. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's there's a lot to uh, there's a lot to unpack there, mm. what, what's going on, you know, and he's weighed it in, FIFA first, um, you know, you know, in his own backyard, you know, Real Madrid and Barcelona's links with the Middle East are really strong. Um, you know, it, it's um, and obviously they're two of the super clubs that will be involved in the Club World Cup. Uh, the 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 problem is with um, and you know, so to, as well as the European Super League, uh, the revamp of the Champions League, you've got all these clubs who are saying, "Oh, well, we're not really, we're not really in favour." You know, the big eleven. Oh, we're not really in favour. Of it in public, but in reality, they're waiting to see what money's on offer. Yeah, to to see if they, they need to jump, and they will jump. It's all about money. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if the Club World Cup um, money goes up significantly from fifty million. I mean, the figures that have been bandied around in the past yeah. have been as high as 175. Well, 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 even I think 50 million is basically just the entry fee, and that's possibly for some of the lesser clubs, isn't it? Yeah. Which is to, potentially to what they want, an African super club, which would completely destroy African football. Yeah. That, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's going to just change the nature of the game in South America completely, yeah. Africa, you know, Oceania. It's, it's the madness of it. And, and the lack of foresight is a disgrace. And he, he, Tebas is right in that sense from... Uh, the body that's ultimately more than anyone is about to be about whatever whatever about recent corruption scandals are all about. I mean, fundamentally, FIFA should be about the safeguarding of the sport, and yet instead, it's actually unthinkingly, you know, trammeling along with these plans that could completely change it. It's interesting, I think, when you get Jurgen Klopp speaking yesterday saying, "Oh, he, he will happily take less money for less games," but. I mean, the reality is he has no say. Yeah. And the people above his head are going to say, yes, if it's 175 million for a month's work, then obviously they're going to say yes. So it's sort of, it's, you're going to have the high profile figures like Pep saying that they should scrap the League Cup yeah. because he's, he's no use for it and there's already too many games. They all, everybody wants to get rid of FA Cup replays. And yet, they have no power, so the big, the biggest figures in the game are all saying the one thing. But in the end, it makes no difference. And and the thing is as well, everyone basically everyone gets on board. Goes, yeah, what's the league cup for? Yeah, let's scrap it. What they don't realise that's the start of the slippy slope. Yeah, once you scrap the league cup, well, you know, you scrap the FA Cup replays, and then you know you start scrapping FA Cup, or you know the, the big clubs stay out of it, and then all of a sudden. You've got a Super League. Yeah. And well, it's, you know, the, the drip drip effect. Well, Gabby Marcotti, he referred to how that happens basically quite well in his in economy did yesterday on the, like, the oven window, where essentially it's just the gradual normalisation of stuff that would have been massively extreme 20 years ago. Yeah. Uh, and I think the same is applied to, I mean, we, I suppose what, what's kicked off this whole discussion to a degree, even Liverpool's record this season, which is obviously absolutely sensational, but like the the blunt reality is, a win return like this just wasn't possible twenty years ago because mm. there wasn't the same disparity, and and a lot of stuff that's going on in the game now just wasn't possible. I mean, even people point to the German situation as the as the kind of oh that, that's just how it is. Well, up up until this run, Bayern had never won more than three titles in a row, and there was always a disruption, always another club that came in in a way that's just impossible. So it, it it's it's never 
been like this. Yeah, look at La Liga, like 20 years ago, you know, you had mm. Valencia in there, you know, um, you know, there, there were teams that it wasn't just dominated by the big two yeah. as it is now. You know, it's, um, you know, obviously Atletico have, have been strong, but, you know, it was a more competitive league. league you know, you had same in the Premier League, right? Even Ferguson's great team has only won, what, three in a row once? Yeah. So mm. there was there was Chelsea once, there was Arsenal once, and then City latterly. It's very difficult to do. And yet you look now, it's like, well, who could possibly like, challenge yeah. City and Liverpool? So obviously I'm, I'm doing a big piece in this, which will be out in about two weeks. But even uh, we've got loads of metrics and stats along these lines. But there were more clubs that finished in the top four in England between 1990 and 95 than there have been in the whole of the 2000s. Well, you know, I mean, mm. you, you look at the first year Manchester United won the league, the first mm. year of the Premier League, uh, the first year after 26 years of yeah. not winning it. Uh, but, you know, uh, the, the two teams who were vying for it with them were Villa and Norwich. Yeah, that yeah. will never happen again. Yeah. Sticking with the Club World Cup, you mentioned that how it could kind of impact on, you know, having an African super club or teams from South America. Obviously, in the UK, we've always had quite a kind of suspicious attitude towards the Club World Cup. And in Europe and, and overseas, there's a kind of slightly more positive reception to it. But can you actually see a, a future where if you have this Club World Cup, it's going gonna, it's gonna to harm domestic competitions all over the world and not just in Europe? Oh, definitely, definitely. And and it'll also harm the clubs that take part in it, in the sense that, you know, the more games for the players, you know, it's going to go in in the summer. And and that's the other component of it. We're, we're ringing, like, everything out of the talent. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, it's at, at some point, that, you know, the, the, the talent's not inexhaustible. Yeah. At some point, yeah. there's not going to be enough players. Yeah. And I think, I mean, in, inherently, the Club World Cup, isn't a bad idea if there's space enough for the calendar, they can they can find a way to make it work, and it doesn't ha- it doesn't involve the sort of money that just completely destroys well, yeah, this football. Is, this but, is what Klopp said yesterday. Yeah. He said, "Name me the year when there won't be a tournament." Yeah, and that's yeah. it, isn't it? You've got Cop America, World Cup, Euros, Club World Cup. There's never going to be a break, and you see. Like you say, you're harming the talent. You've seen players like Sanchez just break down because he's mm. had two years of being at full gas the entire time, and then he's now broken, yeah. irretrievably, it would seem. And he's not going to be the first one. He's not the last mm. either, is he? He's damaging. It's yeah, like such a lack of foresight in that you're going to overall damage the product. It's something that Miggs wrote about earlier in the year when Liverpool beat Liverpool's reserves, beat Arsenal's reserves in the League Cup mm. in a great game. But it's basically how much football is too much football. Mm. At a certain point, you are... You are weakening the product because you're seeing you're seeing Liverpool on TV, a great team, but you're going to see them on on TV sixty times a year. Yeah, and you know, Abby Kane, you look at him now. I bet good money that he's not going to be playing when he's thirty. Do you reckon? Uh, yeah. yeah, at all or this to this level? Well, at all, you know, with um, with the injuries he's got, the way that, that he picks them up, that you know, the amount of football he had, he had what. Four years, didn't he? Yeah. Where he didn't have a summer off. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's just, you know, it's all right. You know, you say, oh, the young, you know, was three years or four. Anyway, it doesn't, mm. doesn't matter. Three's bad enough. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you say, oh, you know, he was, what, 20, 21. But you're just ruining your body. Yeah. Uh, Miguel, you mentioned earlier there that um, one of the significant backers of a revamped tournament would uh, represent Saudi Arabian interests. Obviously, there's been so much talk about sports washing in sport and in football. Do you think this is a further example of how FIFA is actually facilitating sports washing rather than trying to combat it? At yeah, all? yeah, totally. I mean, and again, what, it, the, the governing body should really be all right. It can't, it can't legislate on how on ownership in individual countries, but 
it should still be scrutinising and doing analysis and benchmarking reports on the influences on football. That that really should be what the body's about. And instead of that, it just goes a complete opposite direction, seeks to make as much money as possible um, and <laughs> and get into deals like this. And I, I was talking to uh, the New York Times' Tarek Panja about this, actually, about just before that Teba, or actually it was after the Teba's press comments because we were obviously like, discussing all these various issues and we're kind of talking about how the fundamental problem here is that anyone in a position like FIFA or uh, you know or Infantino's position or Bladder's position it's now of such a status and such a role and profile that obviously it's going to attract a certain type of figure I mean it's not going to get Leonard Johansson's anymore um he's UEFA obviously but um and they don't they don't see themselves as just sitting there to safeguard the game. They see them, they, they they want to leave their mark, to leave a legacy. And with Bladder, for all his many, many faults, you know, a lot of people know him say there was at least this kind of weird romance about him where he saw the game as attempting to like solve you know, bring world peace. Mm. And like that he, he want his big goal was to get Nobel Peace Prize. Whereas Infantino's legacy is feels it's different that he wants to kind of leave it's almost as if he wants a tournament named after him, mm. which like, like this Club World Cup. Mm. And, and he's been much more nakedly about making as much money as possible for FIFA. It does seem more never that UEFA and FIFA are now essentially locked in this tit-for-tat situation yeah. where you've got the, the Club World Cup plans being made public and now the Champions League, you know, there might be an f- extra four games. So it's just this kind of, you know, constant battle between the two. And for what? Like, what, what is this all for? for I mean, because people don't actually make that much more, much money out of football. Most investors don't, relative to other day. So like, and I, as David Goldblatt put it to me um, for this, this piece I'm doing in two weeks, it's like the game is involved in this kind of death lock that's spiralling out of control for the, for the purpose of about 12 invested interests. It, it's, it's, it's actually, when you stand back, it, it's madness. OK, we're going to head to a very quick break. When we get back, we're going to be talking about Liverpool's dominance in the Premier League, as well as attempting to figure out exactly what constitutes a super club. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome back to the Indie Football Podcast. Okay, let's move on to uh, Miguel's Liverpool article because I'm really interested <laughs> to, uh, to hear your thoughts on it. Uh, so a few weeks back, it was the 3rd of January, uh, we published a feature piece of yours after Liverpool's fairly comprehensive 2-0 win over Sheffield United, which was called Liverpool's incredible run deserves praise, but the manner of their dominance provides concern for the future of the game. Uh, Miguel, for the benefit of those who haven't read it, do you want to maybe give us a brief overview um, as well as telling us why you decided to to lift your head over the parapet and, and write this. Yeah, well, the, the entire point was Liverpool, they are a super club. 
Uh, they're one of the 11 wealthiest clubs in the world. One, I think, the seventh highest revenue as of the latest figures. Um, and while it doesn't, that certain that means that they themselves have to defy a certain amount of economics to even get ahead of a club like City. So they've done superbly there, but they still have the advantage of a, a financial platform to make them competitive in the first place. And it was just some. And so again, and so the obviously the starting point is that they're brilliantly run. They they deserve so much praise, and it's obviously an exceptional team. But as I was watching that match and just saw all the praise gushing forward about them and of, of this record, which is totally ahistorical, it did just write me, right, this is obviously brilliant, but it does warrant a little bit of context as well, because as we've already said in this spot, I, I such records, they've never been seen before in football. Mm. And the major change in football has been the explosion of money into it. So this is the major reason. We have to put it in this context. And I just wrote, I wrote the piece in the, in in that regard. Were you surprised at the kind of strength of reaction on, on both sides? Uh, uh, maybe this is a bit naive of me in this sense, but I actually expected a bit more maturity from a certain strand of Liverpool fans <laughs> about, about what they are. <laughs> but about what they are as a club. Because you, you can't on one side boast about how massive you are all the time. And, you, and then on the other side, try and, try and present yourself as some kind of Underdog. Mm. Yeah. So some of the responses you think they were you think they were Wimbledon going through yeah. the divisions, you know. It's like and it's I mean that, that no matter how you curve it up and Klopp's been brilliant, absolutely been brilliant. Yeah. Can't argue with that. And you know, some uh, some of the transfer policy, while you know, sort of it, from this point of view, you know, sort of you know, you say, Oh, it's all been perfect. That's writing history backwards. It's been up and down. But the reality is, what changed things, what made Liverpool into this dominant team, was spending record fees on a centre-half and a goalkeeper. Yeah. And no, no matter what you say, it, and there's there's only what? There's, a, well, you could say 11 clubs in the world who can do that. You know, probably yeah. less. And Liverpool are one of them. So don't try and tell me that like it's been done on the cheap and it's done. You know, this this is a super club flexing the muscles, yeah. and they've got the rewards. Well, I was reading uh, Ferran Soriano's book last night, actually, just for a search. The one from about 2010, "The Ball Doesn't Go by Chance." Mm. And wh- whatever you think about Soriano and his visions for football, which I think a lot of us in this room might disagree with. Some of those visions come from the fact that he's, his analysis, his business analysis, is exceptional, and he was putting it into. He, he was talking about all this. He, he said, there's, on, "There's only a strand of clubs that can compete on a truly global level because of the global support, which allows huge commercialization, huge revenues, and everyone else basically has to decide what they are within that. And that, and if they want to compete at Champions League level, as he point, he like he pointed to a conversation he had with Leon, where there was they, Barcelona hammered Leon in 0708. And, the, and this is as early as 0708, and the Leon director turns him, I think we overstretched ourselves a bit this year. Basically, I mean, if they really want to compete, they, they have to be sensible. Mm-hmm. And the only way to get into this is basically what City have done, which is to be bought over by usually questionable interest in sport. Um, it's, I, what in, it's what sort of, I mean, not wanting to make everything about Man United, which is what most people do all the time, but it does <laughs> sort of put into perspective just how bad Manchester United have been. Yeah. To, be able to, to be able to, it's something that Miguel has mentioned before, that... They had this unbelievable advantage over Liverpool and everybody for nigh on 30 years. And then in the space of six, have managed to waste all of it. Yeah. And they are the ultimate super club in that they were richer than everybody. Even when they finished sixth, seventh, they were still richer than everybody. But they, I mean, and now it's taken this long, four or five years out of it, to finally Liverpool, so according to the Deloitte Money League, there was the warning that 
if they continue to lose the revenue from the Champions League, they will fall below Liverpool as not yeah. no longer the richest club in England, which is basically the first time that's ever happened. Uh, and oh, I mean, Barcelona are now the biggest revenue-making team in the world and the most, most commercialised team in the world. And they've openly admitted, or Soriano, Soriano openly admitted when they transformed the club in 2003, that United were the model. That the, and, and that's actually accelerated since since the Glazers took over United, which itself is, is a tragedy of modern football that was allowed to happen. But one of the consequences has been not just what happened to United in that regard, but we have to say this really, the, the marketing intelligence of the Glazers to rip up, to basically turn the whole football revenue creation procedure on its head and rather than have a few key sponsors to divide the world into all these different areas where they can just well, yeah, squeeze it's, it dry. It's, it's something that Rory Smith mentioned the other day is that the commercially Manchester United are still as almost as big as they've ever been. Yeah. It's where they're losing out is they don't they no longer get any Champions League revenue because they aren't in mm. it anymore. And that's where Liverpool and Barcelona and Real Madrid are ahead of them because they are equally commercially massive, like yeah. colossal companies outside of football and in it. It's the fact that United aren't competing on the field and yeah, like going back to the Super Club thing, it's it is shocking they've sort of wasted this advantage which Liverpool and City and others by Munich have taken advantage of routinely. Yeah. Well, I think is as well. It's you know, there's no divine right to Super Club status. I mean, most of the United deals are about the midway point now. Yeah. And um, they're gonna. It's a, around the time when you start thinking about renegotiating. If they're not in the Champions League then they're going to find they're going to get less money from the mm. commercial deals and they're going to start slipping badly. Um, you know, you, 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 you're in a situation where Ed Woodward says, oh, you know, what happens on the pitch has no impact on the commercial yeah. revenues. Well, yeah, probably for a year, for two years. But once you go beyond five years, it does have a real impact. Yeah. And what they'll do, they'll find themselves dropping down the super club ladder yeah. while other people, you know, sort of move on. And it won't be so easy to claw back those fans because, you know, you have a whole generation who'll be, you know, who don't, probably don't have the same level of allegiance that people had in the past mm. to clubs you know there's a little bit of um, the way the game's you know sort of moved on it's almost like more like you know sort of the pop band scenes you know someone's big for a while yeah. all the kids are into them and then someone else comes along and they're big and you know sort of it shifts and you know you're still there you know People still know Robbie Williams, you know, but it's not the year 2000 when he was the biggest name in, yeah, in the yeah. UK. And there's a little bit of that going on in football. It, 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 Funny enough, actually, and the football industry now generates more money than the entire music industry in Europe. Yeah. Which, 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 is, which is actually an incredible stat, really. But, but even in relation to that, Soriano talks about in that book about how the key is clubs to maximise their financial potential. And I, I think that's probably the issue. For Up until the last few years of FSG, Liverpool, Liverpool weren't maximising their financial potential mm. and what they could be. Uh, but, but sorry, I did make the point that the first and best way to do that is actually to invest in the playing side and make the team better because ultimately that's your product and you're selling that product. And then he starts going on about how you're not, you're not, you're not truly in competition with the super clubs. Aren't truly in competition with each other in that regard. They're actually in in, in competition, with, as he put it, Disney, Fox, who, who yeah. Disney now own, because they're ultimately producing content, and that content has to be high quality. Which is again is a really disturbing way to look at football, but it's when you actually apply these business principles, that's exactly what's I th- happened. I think what I found surprising about the reaction to your piece, and again, maybe this is me being a little bit naive, but is how kind of how vehemently Liverpool fans didn't want their club to be perceived as a super club, yeah. which I thought they would take some sort of pride in. Um, everyone wants to be 
uh, ultimately, everyone wants their victory to be seen as the purest. Yeah, this right. is what I wanted to come on to because eight hours after your piece was published, uh, <laughs> a reply was published on uh, Liverpool.com, which uh, for the uninitiated, it's a Liverpool-focused website from the same pub publishers as Liverpool Echo. Uh, the piece was called Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool Don't Need to Apologise for Dominance No Matter What the Media Says. And uh, it includes the line, Liverpool and Klopp can hold their collective heads high because they have found a way to achieve greatness in a manner which completely defies the odds under modern norms of bought success and incessant greed. Um, I mentioned that, not it's so we can Incessant greed? Like Liverpool have been involved <laughs> in discussions to actually... to you know, bring more into more money from international rights to their club, like to the top six clubs. It, like, well, it, well, this is the thing. <laughs> it, all, it all comes back to needing to win more, you know, yeah. needing to win better or needing to be more pure or the, needing the, to be the underdogs there constantly. Is, there is an element in the Liverpool fan base that wants to tell you that everything is absolutely brilliant all the time. <laughs> so, you know, even if someone has a terrible game, there'll be a piece that comes out which says, you don't need to worry about this because... And they'll prove it with stats. They were really very good. And you know what? Like any club, there are flaws. Yeah. You know, and, and the, the, you know, so the, 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 there are problems. And they've done, they've done things the wrong way in certain areas. But people don't want to accept that. Hmm. You know, they, they, they want to see it as, um, as say, you know, they want it both ways. They want to be a super club with a global fan base. And yeah. they're really proud of that. But they also want to be underdogs. Who, uh, and, and you can't. It's, it's, well, that's it, right? It's like you can't be you can't be an underdog while also boasting a conservative estimate nine of the world eleven. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. like that's that is a super club. They've yeah. whether that's they've got Trent Alexander Arnold who's one of their own, but they've also bought in the best goalkeeper in the world and the best centre back in the world, yeah. and then they've made Roberto Firmino into the best false nine in the world, and now there's the push to have yeah. Jordan Henderson as the best defensive midfielder in the world, if you believe that or not. Um, you can't have it both ways. Yeah. They, are, I mean. They are a super club. Every all the revenue suggests they're a super club. The fan base suggests they're a super club, and they're now they're benefiting from it because they're being run properly yeah. and they're using that advantage, which they haven't done in the last thirty years between league titles. And, and, and their wage bill is super super club wage bill. I mean, I, I'm only referring to the Soriano book so much because I read it last night, so it's freshest in my mind. But he does make the argument; it's completely true that league tables correlate to wage bills more than anything else. And it's why kind of net spend. Is kind of irrelevant because it's so variable. And he's put it also. There's, there's no correlation. There's, there's never been any historic correlation in that regard. The key is salaries because ultimately it's about getting a team together that works and then paying them what they're worth, which is the key. So even with United, say in the nineties, and what they became in two thousands, yes, they develop all those players. But then, unlike a Leicester or a West Ham United with Joe Cole and generation, they kept them there because they could pay them. Uh, and, and, and that's the problem Tottenham yeah. have got now, right? Yeah. So they had their own sort of mini golden generation of all they a really good run of players all together at the same time, and they can't pay them the yeah. same as everybody else. So they, the, the market well, value well, of these players, they can't pay what they're worth. Well, they sort of can, but don't want to. Well, yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. That's true. <laughs> Liverpool obviously pride themselves on being such a kind of integral part of the local community, but do you think that when... Can can super clubs remain a, a true part of the social fabric of their community and of the country when they've got like an increasingly global and commercial outlook? Well, that's the it's, it's a difficult balancing job. And to be fair, Liverpool has yeah. done quite uh, quite well in their area, and you know they've they've maintained the link to you know sort of the uh, the local community. They do an awful lot, in, you know, for uh, sort of the, you know the the civic. Metropolitan, uh, Merseyside metropolitan area, and and they've done that. Uh, the, I'm not so sure they've 
they've, they've fully come up with a good a good way of balancing it because um, you know I, I still think the they believe that they're not maximising the global fan base in terms of financial return. Oh, yeah. But, um, you know, they're still... We talk about them being run much better and commercially and, and, and being significantly better than they were, you know, pre-Femway or in mid-Femway even. It's... Um, but they're still in the process of learning and they're still in the process of developing. So, yeah, getting that balance right is probably going to be their big uh, issue in the next five years. Just in relate, I mean, I'll be interested in your thoughts on this and a bit of attention there because I was actually something I was discussing with a Liverpool supporting friend the other day from Ireland. And obviously, there's been always been huge links between Ireland and Liverpool, and particularly in the last 30 years in terms of support. But we were discussing the fact that a lot of Irish Liverpool fans. It feels as if, especially those who go over, it feels as if supporting the club isn't enough. They have to buy into absolutely everything about what being a local Liverpool supporter is, which is, and we were actually pointing to a clear example, like we should go, they have to put card-carrying members of the Labour Party and in recent times say huge support for Corbyn. Mm. So I saw, in, like the Irish election's going on now, and I saw a, an Irish Liverpool fan I know from Dublin just going on about Jess Phillips and the English Labour Party. And it all felt like just within the context of his Liverpool support, Rather, um, and you know, obviously, all the don't buy the sun stuff. Even though, I think for anyone outside Liverpool, that's an element of being a Liverpool supporter that can't be as connected if you're not from the community. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's always the difficulty, isn't it? Because I mean, clubs, football clubs, grew out of the communities. Yeah. You know, they grew out of churches, workers' associations, and they've become something else over the years. But there's still this longing to retain those links. Yeah. So I mean, you know, you've you've got um, Peter Moore, you know, L- Liverpool's uh, uh, chief executive, talking about Liverpool's um, uh, Liverpool's philosophy is grounded in socialism, mm. and. You know, on one level, that's clearly the most absurd thing anyone could ever say. Yet, on the other hand, because of Shankly, who talks about you know the, the, yeah. the you know the, the famous socialism that I believe in is everyone working for each other and getting a fair share of the rewards. That's so Im- Im- embedded in the club, and you know Irish fans, not just Irish fans, you know fans from all over the world, take on this yeah. and kind of almost become more scouts than scouts. And and there is, um, you know, you often see on Twitter, if people who, you know, express support for Boris Johnson and Brexit with LFC or a a Liverpool header on it, you know, there's there's a huge attack from all sides on them. My point is that, would you ever sense any resentment from local fans about the international group that comes? Uh, Because one theory that I have, it's almost they feel as if, they have to buy into it to almost for that acceptance. Mm. And the more the more they buy into the tropes of being, well, not the tropes, but certain accepted principles of being a Liverpool fan, the more they're accepted. And, I, and an example was thrown at me as well. Like there was, that, there was that kind of racist photo that went round of like someone taking the piss out of a group of Asian fans over mm. at Anfield the other day. Mm. And, but an interesting thing there is that, say, Irish fans right, would see themselves as the locals rather than also the international fans yeah. coming to a club that isn't their community. Well, a decade ago, there was... I mean, there's, there's always a, a huge resentment against day-trippers. Yeah. You know, there is. And a decade ago, there was a, a, a huge backlash against the Irish fans mm. for coming wearing jest arts and things like that in the ground. You know, that's not what you do, you know, at Anfield. And it's, it's, it's moved away from the Irish fans to, you know, 
fans from the Far East to a, you know the new sort of folk devil for for locals who say you know we can't go into the ground because the day trippers. Uh, the reality is most of them probably can't get into the ground because of the prices. Yeah. You know it's um, but and you know it, th- there's a point where you've got to accept it's no longer a local game. It's a it's a global game, and I think I think I would say the majority of Liverpool's local support accept that probably 60%, mm. but there's still 40%. And and these are my figures. I've just made them up off the top of my head, mm. so don't write in. Mm. Um, so, uh, but, but there's still a substantial minority who are very resentful and would like it to be a completely scouse thing again. Guys, really unfortunately, we've got to wrap this up because we're getting a lot of angry has <laughs> from the top. <laughs> 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 it's a tone of the part. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we should carry this on. Maybe we should carry this on next week. Um, let us know in the comments or on Twitter if you like that um, what did we knock over <laughs> yeah um, obviously be sure to follow Indie Football on social media to keep up to date with all that's going on um, if you're a new listener please subscribe to the show on Apple Spotify Acast or wherever you listen and we'll see you next week goodbye ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.